Well, now, have you noticed that there has been a little bit of a pattern to this sermon series on our foundational values? In the first three weeks, we looked at God's Word and prayer and worship, and all three focus on our upward relationship with God. And that is deliberate. We wanted to start there because our relationship with God is of first importance, first priority. My mum always used to say to me, say this on Mother's Day, my mum always used to say when I was about five years old, getting dressed for school, she said, always start with a top button first, John. If you start in the middle, you'll get it all mixed up and you have to undo them and start again. And uh, unless you start at the top in theology, it all goes wrong. We have to start at the top, our relationship with God. We have to put God at the top of our thinking. He is at the absolute summit of our priorities. He is first and everything else is subsidiary. So that's why we started with looking at God. And next we, look at things, we looked at things like belonging and community and discipleship and generosity and these are much more actually about our relationships with one another as the body of Christ here in church these are about how church members interact with one another in a healthy way and only after looking up and looking in how we get on with each other did we start to look out on how we connect with the outside world. And so we started to look at things like serving and evangelism. And next week, we'll continue to do that as we focus on world mission. But today, as uh, was said earlier by Sally in the service, uh, I'm going to speak this morning about church planting. Church planting. What is a church plant? Well, there's a few plants there, and there's a few plants there, but it's not that sort of plant, um, <coughs> as we'll see. Believe it or not, there was a time when there was no such thing as King's Church Darlington. Can you imagine that? We came into being almost 30 years ago now when an enthusiastic small team in the freshness of youth was commissioned and sent out from Emmanuel Church in Durham to join with Christians already here in Darlington to bring to birth a brand new congregation. And over the last three decades, by the grace of God, the church has gained uh, strength to become what it is today. Now, some of those founding team members are still here. Hands up if you were a founding team member of, yeah, it's one, it one or two of you this morning, some were away. You have seen a lot of blessing, no doubt about it. Uh, you have no doubt seen many setbacks as well. You've seen constant change, but we have never departed from these foundational values that we've been revisiting together over the last few months. <clears throat> and at exactly the same time that King's Church Darlington was coming into being, coming into existence, my wife Kathy and I were also involved in planting a church in France. We actually planted two of them there in the end. And just before we came here, I was working as a church leader in Stockton. We sent out a team of about 20 people to begin a new plant in another part of that town. So this morning I'll speak from, uh, with a little bit of personal experience. 
Our oldest son, Nathan, is now also pioneering a church plant in the city of Paris. And I want to show you a video this morning that I recorded with him a few weeks ago because I think it gives you a feel for some of the issues, some of the, um, yeah, some of the issues that arise when you're planting a church. So hopefully all the technology will work. Here comes a video. Here we go. Uh, Nathan, uh, how did your church plant actually get going? Did you just decide one day, I don't know what I'll do I'll, in my spare time, I'll, I think I'll plant a church or was it something a bit other than that? Yeah, it was uh, very much something other than that. We didn't have that in mind at all. Uh, I was involved in leadership uh, in, in another church in Paris um, and a kind of both circumstances of, of actually things getting a bit difficult uh, in, in that church and then God's within the week after things having just started to be difficult in that church um three prophetic words very clearly in 24 hours bam 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 plant a church plant a church, plant a church in paris uh we we weren't at all thinking of that and that that's how it got started we, we yeah we would never would have done it without that and and actually yeah. part of the council that we got um from somebody who knew what was going on um with us um in in the church we were at before and they said you know has god been speaking to you about planting a church and we said no. Uh, and he said, well, you know, that sometimes what, what happens, what's happening behind the scenes when there are difficulties and, and you know, God's often in it for, for good. And, uh, and, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, if God does speak to us about planting a church, we will, but he hasn't. And, and the guy said to us, no, well, if you were to plant a church, it would need really be to be God speaking very clearly and with confirmation. Um, not necessarily a dream in the night, but it'd have to be very clear and with confirmation. And we said, yeah, that, that, that's a, we'll, we'll go with that standard. Not necessarily a dream in the night, not necessarily, uh, you know, kind of written in the skies or, or seeing um, uh, a cloth coming down from heaven like Peter did, but it would need to be clear and with confirmation because Jesus is the one building his church. Um, so he needs to be yeah. building a church plant as well instead and not us. Yeah. And nevertheless, people might say to you, look, there's loads of churches in Paris already. Why do we need more? Um, well, uh, first of all, because there are two million people in Paris, uh, 12 million people in the Paris metro region, metro area. Um, and no one church, no 100 churches can reach all of those people. Um, secondly, because... Uh, the uh, the existence of a church in an area doesn't mean that there are other churches that can't also contribute to what the body of Christ looks like. And uh, I do believe that the body of Christ is made up of people more than it's made up of structures. And if God has um, raised up and equipped a certain amount of people who are called to leadership in a given area, I do believe that he's also his desire would be for those people to be in leadership either in, in leading together in one same church or leading congregations across the city who hopefully can work together can bless one another and also just have something specific uh, something unique um, that, that will bring breadth and depth to the body of Christ but also be able to reach perhaps different kinds of people I don't want to emphasize that too much because it can lead to churches just being made of people who are all the same I think we need to be careful of that and be wary of that. But but nevertheless, it is true that um, I'll be able to reach some people that other pastors in the city won't. And those pastors will reach people that I wouldn't. And so, so I think that there is space for multiple churches working together as, as brothers and sisters uh, across the city. Cool. 
And how's it going at the moment? Are you encouraged, discouraged, or a bit of both? <laughs> um, yep, encouraged and discouraged and a bit of both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just you know, kind of challenges and blessings side by side uh, in 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 pretty much every season since we've started. And the things which at some point are challenges, let's say maybe leadership is a challenge, so we're leading on our own. But fellowship is wonderful. Um, and 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 then at other points, the leadership is, is is great, and we've got a team of people working well together. But we find that there are people who are arguing within the, within the church. At some points, it's going to be we really feel like we're you know we're we're doing well with regards to reaching the lost, um, but at the same time, we feel like we're not really. On point in terms of our vision. At other points, it's going to be the opposite. So, um, yeah, um, challenges and blessings all the time, and and I feel like they're intensified in a church church planting setting. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a bit like and... you know what? So for for those who are watching who have babies, um, like a, a baby says his first gurgle, and you're like, wow. Um, and 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 your baby has a cold, and you're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Um, whereas when they get to seven or eight year old, I mean, they talk all the time and we don't bat an eyelid. In fact, it even gets irritating. Um, and, mm. and, and, our, and our child has a cold and we're like, no, bear with it, go to school, you know? So right. every, every little step forward is a massive encouragement and, and, and every challenge is like, whoa, a potential big danger. So I do find mm. that to be intensified in church plants. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, what are your next challenges as you take your church into the next phase of its maturity and journey? Um, so I think the next phase for us, so, so we have a, an eldership team that's now been established. And I think the, the, the key thing now will be for this eldership team to start raising up other leaders. Um, so that, that's one of, the, one of the big things. And then structurally, we meet in a in a rented space. We only have it on Sunday mornings. It requires a lot of time. You know, we want to be about making disciples. And at the moment, to be honest, we're more about stacking chairs uh, and, and setting up video projectors on Sunday morning. And, and so we're looking for a space where we can meet uh, and, and where we can just, you know, uh, be able to really go towards what we do believe the heart of our mission is, which is to make disciples who make disciples and, and reach our area. And to just have a space that can serve as a resource for that. So that, that's our, our our two big things, I'd say. Raise up more leaders and, and then get into a space where we have somewhere to call home and, and that can be a base um, to, to be yeah. able to, to minister and serve the city. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Nathan. Such a good boy, <laughs> Nathan. <laughs> Uh, always forget Mother's Day, though. <coughs> uh, right. I was walking around a town in the south of England a few years ago, and I noticed a church uh, uh, with a big, large black notice board outside, and it said in gold letters, Mount Zion Chapel. And underneath were three words. Now, what three words do you think Mount Zion Chapel would most want to be uh, communicate into the outside world to curious passers-by as they looked at this church. Maybe three words like, welcome to all. Yeah. God is love. Um, please come in. Jesus is Lord. Believe me, I am not joking. 
Of all the excellent options open to Mount Zion Chapel to communicate three words to the passers-by of that town of Bournemouth, the three words they went for on their notice board were strict and particular. Strict and particular. It's actually a theological term that refers to certain views about membership and communion. But I did not know that at the time. And seeing strict and particular on Mount Zion Chapel's notice board didn't make me think, oh, that looks nice. Let's go in there. It looks really nice. Sometime later, out of interest, I, I googled that church and I found that it had since closed down and been sold for demolition and redevelopment. And it's gone. That church has disappeared. The church here, King's Church Darlington, though to me anyway, it feels young, it feels vibrant, it feels welcoming. This church could become unhealthy one day and die. There are decisions that we could take. There are courses of actions that we could embark upon drifting from these core values that would lead to our eventual decline and closure. We have to say that. I hope it will never happen. But the uncomfortable truth, brothers and sisters, is that it could. The book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 tells us that Jesus is absolutely prepared to shut down churches that abandon sound teaching and forsake their first love. He is prepared to do that. He could close this place down if he wanted to. And so this series is about the things that make a church, from from being planted to its maturity, make that church healthy and therefore resistant to stagnation, resistant to decline. So we've talked about the primacy of God's word and Christ-centered worship and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and faith-filled prayer amongst us and authentic community and cheerful generosity and cringe-free evangelism, all these things, we want them. But the local church is a living organism, a living organism, and like any living thing, One of the key signs of a healthy, mature body is that it reproduces. It It has offspring. It gives birth to new life. And this is what church planting is. The book of Acts in the New Testament is the story of how pioneers called apostles planted new churches all over the Mediterranean basin, all over the Near East and Southern Europe. And these churches, in turn, gave birth to daughter churches. And we're going to look this morning at the experience of one particular church plant in the city of Antioch. And here's what it says about how that church came into being and how it began to thrive. So it's Acts 11, verses 19 to 30. It says this, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So what we're seeing here is a new church coming into being. This is a church plant. And humanly speaking, it was planted almost by accident. After Stephen was stoned to death, you might remember in Acts chapter 7, persecution uh, broke out. Christians had to leave Jerusalem running for their lives. And it's quite natural, actually, that some of these believers would uh, head for Antioch, even though it was about 300 miles away to the north. Because Antioch was a large city, uh, well over half a million people at the time. So about five times the population of Darlington today. In fact, it was the third city of the Roman Empire. Only Alexandria and Rome itself were greater in size. So quite a metropolis to go and hide in. And as these disciples, um, displaced believers, fled with their families, naturally enough, conversations began. Ah, oh, you're new in these parts. What are you doing here? Oh, we had to leave Jerusalem, where we come from, because people were trying to kill us. Kill you? Seriously? Wow. Why was that? Well, it's because of our faith. Uh, they're trying to wipe us out. Ah, oh, what religion do you belong to then? And as they began to share their faith in the Lord Jesus with people they met, other people became Christians as well. Now raise your hand, please, right now, if at least part of the reason that you are here today in church is that someone else sometime in the past who you admired or who loved you one day introduced you to church. That's pretty well most of us, isn't it? You see, this is how the church at Antioch started to form and grow. Just friendships and relationships come along, see what it's like. Now, Acts 11 in the book of Acts is a watershed moment. It really is a pivotal moment. This is the first time anyone had ever come to faith in Jesus without knowing something of the Old Testament and the Jewish faith. So these new Christians in Antioch are complete outsiders. They've got no background knowledge at all. 
And when we plant churches in Britain today, we're in exactly the same situation because people increasingly have no idea whatsoever what Christianity is about. They have not the first clue. A few years ago, a guy called John Soper from Exeter Network Church was uh, doing a bit of research. It's a church plant. He's is, is doing some research to try and find a venue for his new church plant. And he goes along and he looks around in town. He finds this really nice cafe. It's not open on Sundays. So he arranges to meet the manager of this cafe, who it's fair to say probably never paid any attention whatsoever in RE at school. He's got no idea at all. Because when John describes the vision of this new church, a student focus, a contemporary worship, a Bible teaching, ministry of the Holy Spirit, outreach to the poor, this guy says, yeah, it's all very well, he says, but is your religion one of those that slaughters chickens? So John thought for a moment and he said, well, well not exactly. <laughs> But we do drink the blood of our leader. <laughs> Talking about communion. And the guy said, wow, cool, man. Wow, you can definitely come here. That sounds really cool. Now that church, Exeter Community Church, has grown. And God is doing great things there. I've got a feeling Dave Loddy might be in that church now. It might be another one, but I've got a feeling that's where he is. Now in Antioch 2, it says here in verse 21, that the Lord's hand was with them. That's wonderful, isn't it? To know that the Lord's hand is with you. Do you feel that the Lord's hand is with you today? Great number of people believe, it says, and they turn to the Lord. And when the church started in this city of Antioch, there was a problem. There was a problem, though, because nobody really knew what to call them. Now, up to this point, all believers in Jesus were just considered as eccentric Jews, which is mostly what they were, Jews with something a bit different. But in this church, virtually all of them were Gentiles. And so the question arose, well, what, what are we going to call these people? And verse 26 says that it was, in fact, the locals who gave them the nickname Christians. And some churches, when they're born are named after what most distinguishes them. There was a group of charismatic believers in the 17th century. There were quite a few of them in this town, actually. And they began to shake as the Holy Spirit fell on them in their meetings. And so people called them Quakers. Like an earthquake, but it's like a people quake. that was shaking as the Spirit came on them. There was another group of Christians who sprang up in the 18th century, and they were methodical and rigorous about how they systematically shaped people as disciples, and so people called them Methodists. They called, there's a method to their madness. They're Methodists. And other churches are named after their founders. Uh, Lutherans are named after Martin Luther. Mennonites are named after Menno Simons. Calvinists are named after John Calvin. And as the believers in Antioch became a recognizable group, people will have asked them out of curiosity, well, what's your religion all about? That's about Christ. Ah, well, which gods do you worship? Well, just one, actually, Christ. Oh, well, who's your leader then? Christ. Yeah, yeah, but, but who's in charge? Like, who's the boss? Christ. Sure, but who actually runs the church? 
Christ. And so they became Christians. It's like the story of a little boy who who learned by the age of about five that the answer to every question in church is ever asked is always Jesus. Seen that? So one day, someone asked this little boy in church, who can tell me what is small and red, has a big bushy tail, and stores nuts in the winter? And so he puts his hand up and says, uh, I know the answer is Jesus, but I think it's a squirrel. You know? <laughs> now, hopefully, we are called kings here because we see ourselves as subjects of the king of kings. That's why we call this church kings. We want him to be in charge and for us to consciously come under his reign and sovereign rule. And hopefully the idea about calling this church kings is that we don't want to be people who throw our weights around like we own the place. We come under his authority. And what else do we notice about this church in Antioch, in Acts 11. Well, we see that even though it's a long way from the nearest uh, other local church, it's not actually on its own. It's not just doing its own thing. In verse 22, it says that the mother church in Jerusalem sends uh, a man called Barnabas, who's who's an encourager, and he comes along to give them some support and affirmation. And later in verse 26, Saul, the Bible teacher, comes down from Tarsus to give them some good foundational grounding in God's word. But not just on their own. And there are so many non-Jews coming to faith in Christ with no knowledge of the Bible at all. They need a whole lot of teaching. And it says for a whole year, Saul and Barnabas met with the church, with the people, and they taught great numbers of people. Real strong emphasis on teaching God's word. But beyond that, they also really welcome prophetic ministry to speak into the life of the church as well. Verse 27. Now, prophets don't so much as prepare sermons as bring a direct word or a visual picture or something like that or some other new revelation from God. The Bible says... Those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. And it says this, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Antioch was a church plant that really welcomed prophetic input. And that is why we as well place a high value on the ministry of the Spirit here. In healthy churches, people are encouraged to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We want to be healthy in that way. What else do we see here? Verse 29, it says, they showed their open-handedness, their generosity, by sending Saul and Barnabas, two of their leaders, with some financial support for the impoverished churches in Judea. They were struggling with food inflation. There had been a famine, uh, and uh, people were really struggling there. Now, we saw a few weeks ago that one of our foundational values is generosity. Because God is a generous God. Remember, Phil was speaking about that a few weeks ago. 
And I say all this because I don't want you to think that we just picked these values here out of thin air. These building blocks here are not just random good ideas that we, someone in a committee came up with one day. We find these values in Scripture, and they are key characteristics of flourishing churches, and we conclude from that that this is what he, God wants his church to look like. At the beginning of Acts 13, a couple of chapters on, God tells us a little bit more about this church in Antioch. And what we find is this. The church is not content to be a large, thriving, growing community of believers. It is that, but it doesn't want to stay there. The Antioch church has the ambition to take its gospel DNA and spread it around a bit. So this is what it says. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then it says, The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them, as John Mark, as their helper. Now this explains why we are part of an international network of churches called Christ Central and New Frontiers. And it means, among other things, that we feel it's right to support a church plant in Siem Reap in Cambodia. We'll be hearing a little bit more about that next week, I think. And Sam and Abby, who lead that work, saw their first Sunday gathering in that town last month. And uh, by all accounts, it gathered about 50 people uh, to worship God together there. So from nothing, there are now 50 people meeting in that city to lift up the name of Jesus every Sunday. Isn't that great? We also enjoy a partnership, as you know, with a young church in Brasov in Romania. They've come here, they've ministered to us, and we sent a team there as well to help them as best we can. And we like this kind of reciprocal, missional uh, help and blessing. But as I end, I want to say that beyond that, beyond supporting the church plant in Cambodia and in Brasov, I want to say beyond that, we have a bigger vision than just watering our patch. Because we want one day to emulate that church in Antioch by sending and planting ourselves. Just as healthy cells multiply in a body, healthy churches reproduce life. And we have a vision that one day kings will give away some of the blessings that we enjoy here in the form of a new church planting team to establish a daughter church somewhere else. We've never done that before, and maybe it's overdue. 
after 29 and a half years. But this is an aspiration, aspiration sorry, we have, and increasingly so. In Antioch, interestingly, I think, they gave away the best they had. So they didn't send a couple of nobodies from the youth work with no experience. In verse 3, they sent out 40% of their leadership team, Saul and Barnabas, two really big hitters. They sent them out in one go. Valued, key leaders, Saul and Barnabas, men of stature. Now, we have yet to discern when and where and who of our first church plants. And it may be years away, we don't know. But we do want to start asking God to begin to speak to us about it more, to raise up a future team and to lead us on that adventure when the time is right.